Welcome to Bunta Vista Socialist Club, episode eight. I am Andrew, and I'm here with Ben McClay. Hello. And poor, poor hungover <laughs> angel, Lucy Valentine. Hello. Hello. Let's all be very gentle with Lucy. Let's be gentle. All, we're going to whisper most of the podcast. We are not going to do that. <laughs> Well, I was initially tempted to just shout most of it because I know Please that don't. she's going to have to wear headphones. Please do not. But we'll 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 avoid that today. Uh, so what we thought we might talk about a little bit today is something that we've had a couple of weird instances of in Australian conservative writing over the last couple of weeks, and that is very weird conservative speculative fiction, um, weird weird conservative sci-fi, if you will. <laughs> And uh, a few a few instances really jumped out at us, and uh, we thought we would kind of have a look at it and try and figure out, A, why? Why is anyone writing this down? It's terrible, terrible stuff. And B, what causes people to write it? Because it obviously generally reflects um, a deep, deep-seated fear at the idea of things continuing to change in the future, mm-hmm. I guess. Hmm. So one of the first examples we had was a cover that the Daily Telegraph ran um, I'm going to say a week or two ago. Mm, yeah, I think it was uh, Thursday this week, I believe. Last week. I don't fucking know. It happened very mm. recently. Yes, written by one of their uh, one of their editors, uh, Sherry Markson. Can I just say, Mary Sharkson. <laughs> mm, friend of the show, Mary Sharkson. <laughs> Mary Sharkson. And uh, I think she used to be like the kind of, basically like the, the gossip editor for like the Australian. I don't I think know. so. Mm. Yeah. I think we should leave this in. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we should especially leave that noise in. Yep. Lucy's Lucy's just got to step out for a moment, deal with some IBS-related issues. She has to get her diarrhea medication, which has just arrived. Mm. Uh, she ordered it off Uber Eats, <laughs> which is terrible was... praxis, frankly. <laughs> and as I've said before on my own Twitter feed, I apologize to any of our readers or listeners who do have IBS mm. for erasing their... <laughs> Their terrible lived experience. I think at some point we may actually have to donate money to... Are there any specifically IBS charities? Because I will happily do that. <laughs> I just... IBS charity, uh, auto-completed for Google. We could donate money to the IBS network. Uh, well, look, that's that's both a good thing to do and funny to me. So it kind of ticks all my boxes. Yeah, so we still, that I like. we still get to laugh at people with IBS, which we're doing right now. Mm. Uh, we're not laughing with them. Mm. Yeah. We're laughing at them. Fair. But, I mean, if we donate to the IBS network, we've got, we're have got we way ahead of everyone else yeah, in fair. terms of IBS wokeness. Yeah, like, what? well, what have you done yeah. for the cause? When have you donated $5 to the IBS network? That's right. That's you right. haven't. That's right. Barely ever. You've barely <laughs> ever helped the IBS network. Hmm. Is Lucy hauling around her footlocker <laughs> full of IBS medication? <laughs> I'm glad we got to the poop content uh, very early on in this episode. Oftentimes we leave it... Uh, leave it to the end, last 10 minutes. Somewhere what's towards going, the what's end. Going, what's going on here? Oh, nothing. We're, oh. All of this part's going to be left oh. out, so don't. <laughs> we're absolutely going to edit all of this out, because none of it was about you or what kind of medication you were getting on for what reason. <laughs> or how we have to offset how we talk about your IBS by donating <laughs> to IBS-specific charities. Uh, oh, that's very nice. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of them. What was the name of the charity that you saw, Ben? Shout it out. Uh, the IBS Network. <laughs> uh, I feel like they could have been a little more creative with that name. Uh, I mean, they're working with what they've got. 
which is IBS. <laughs> I don't actually in saying that, I don't think you have to have that the condition to work at a charity for that condition. It's not like every employee at the IBS network has IBS. Mm. Mm. All right. So returning, how 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 are you doing there, Lucy? I'm okay? better. I'm gonna I'm gonna not puke. Well, that's what we want. Now, returning to our topic mm. for a moment. So Ben, yes. perhaps you could take us through take us through the nature of this cover that they ran of the Daily Telegraph because I remember seeing it um, in the in the wilds of the internet and just thinking, oh, this is like a joke a joke cover someone made up. Because uh, there's no way they could run that as the as the front page of a newspaper. Well, uh, Andrew, it turns out you were very wrong. Um, mm -hmm. Not the first time. Uh, <laughs> I, I believe it is. Uh, so the telly ran this. I'm, pre I'm pretty sure it was on the Thursday because it came up on either uh, so either Tuesday or Wednesday night. The um, the editor of the Daily Telly posted just a tweet with the pick of what tomorrow's cover is going to be, as they are occasionally want to do when they are for some reason proud of the garbage <laughs> that they do. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this one, or they know was... it's, or they know it's particularly risible today. Yes, <laughs> and I mean it worked because I saw it and immediately wrote an article about it. Um, hmm. So they uh, really got me there. <laughs> Owned. <laughs> Owned. Uh, but so this cover is a Daily Telegraph cover superimposed over the regular Daily Telegraph cover. That it's a picture of page one from that date, but two years in the future. Uh, oh. And in this alternate reality, they have created with this mock-up. Bill Shorten is Prime Minister. And mm -hmm. uh, of he's a, happy about of it. Of a Labour government. He looks very chuffed. Uh, he's been in for a, a hundred days and they're positing sort of a, uh, a recap of the things that have happened in those 100 days. And it's based on uh, the policies that Labour is promising. Mm -hmm. So, sort of, the headline is now here's your bill. As in, <laughs> you've got a bill, Bill Shorten, but also mm. these are the consequences of your actions. That's right. You have run up an ex well, you've run up the nation's credit card bill, mm. as uh, as the liberals are very fond of interpreting uh, economics. Yes, everything is a household bill or the bill for a credit card. <laughs> That's just how it works. The subheading for this one, which I think gives away really what the point of what they're doing here is. Uh, Liberals still in chaos after split leads to loss. Mm. So, having seen uh, that there's a, a leadership crisis looming with Abbott hanging out in the wings, <laughs> sowing discord in the party and Turnbull <laughs> being far too moderate, basically a communist. Mm. He's basically a communist. He's pretty much. Um, yeah, so they're sort of trying to say, hey, guys, if you don't stop fighting, this is the future that you will get. This is what we're all in for. There's a, there's a little paragraph here which I think quickly summarises the horrible things that will happen in this 100 days. Uh, Mr. Shorten quickly moved to lift personal and company taxes, <gasps> scrap negative gearing, <gasps> introduce a 50% renewable energy target, <gasps> and this is the worst one of all, force small businesses to pay more for hiring workers on Sundays. Mm. Are these meant to be bad things? Yes, these are meant yeah. to be horrifying predictions of a nightmare future where penalty rates exist, we have a, a good renewables target, and companies pay more tax. Fucking dystopia. It's a, it's a horrible nightmare. Uh, they, so they did a full-page a full page article on this, and they like singled out same-sex marriage as another one of the nightmare outcomes oh, God. that came from it. Mm. Now, it's, it's worth noting here, um, 
just right off the bat with this entire concept, this whole conceptual piece that they've put together, that there is not currently an election campaign. Mm. Um, yeah, there's no election happening. There's no, it's not like something's right around the corner and this is like a looming prospect or anything. It's this entire, like you said, it's an entire weird alternate reality work of speculative fiction taking up the entire front page of a of a large metropolitan newspaper mm. um, purely to say, hey, if if the current government, who we very, very clearly favor and favor the policies of, um, do not get it together, we will wind up with this other guy. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, it also kind of has the fun benefit of... Um, yeah, if if things are not going well for the Liberals, that is Labour's fault. Obviously. But but if Labour were in power and doing things they'd been elected to do, that would be Labour's fault. Mm. So kind of no matter what's going wrong, it's somehow Bill Shorten's fault. Even though, you know, they, they, don't, they don't wield any strong position in either of the houses of government. I, honestly, it seems almost complimentary to mm. both Labour and Shorten that they believe that a, Shorten will get the Labour Party elected again, <laughs> and B, uh, that he'll deliver on any of these things. Like one of the one of the scare points that they have on the uh, additional two page spread that came with this was that uh, same sex marriage will be passed. The top marginal tax rate for the top bracket will be forty nine point five percent, which is wow, great. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Imagine the idea that this is meant to be frightening to anyone under 30. Oh, it's... Oh, well, because, like, yeah, another one of the scare points is same-sex marriage bill passed. Oh, oh, no. Horrible. Imagine. Now, several of the things that are present here will will become noticeable as a theme throughout this episode, um, which is... Yeah, so sowing these dire warnings as a result of if the liberals don't get it together, this is the this is the weird world you'll be facing. As opposed to you know any ideas like um, maybe this is just what the population will wind up supporting and voting for in a representative government. Mm. Maybe people will just get what they have asked for. As opposed to you know the the liberals have to be the gatekeepers of all culture. And economic policy yeah. in the world that we live in. It's, it's very weird. It's extremely weird. And as I said at the start, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, this is some weird parody. Other than the, the date on the thing being two years in the future, is there any indication that this is like a joke or a work of satire? No, and it just came out of nowhere. This is obviously someone's like shitty idea that they've had for ages, the front page, and they finally got it. There is a very clear sign that it's a joke in that the uh, the headline they use for the 2019 article is in a sans-serif font. Oh. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, so, uh, sorry, not the headline, sorry, the, the typeface that Daily Telegraph itself is in, because obviously Daily Telegraph is usually in some... Times New Roman looking bullshit. Oh. But here it's a some sort of aerial bold mm-hmm. type deal. Yes. In, in the bold future of two two years away, we will have shaved all serifs off and left them by the wayside. Yeah, so in two years' time, they will have updated to the style of ten years ago. <laughs> I just love that these are like the same people who will go on about how biased the ABC is mm. and literally put that on the front page of their newspaper. Ah, but the defence is always... 
that the ABC is paid for by taxpayer money, and it then must somehow represent absolutely every view simultaneously mm, totally. and to, to an equal extent, as opposed to if a newspaper is owned by just some billionaire, mm. he should be able to use it to say whatever he wants to say. Mm. And he should be able to own as many newspapers as he wants to own and use them all to say the same thing at the same time yeah. throughout the entire country. Oh, and, and TV channels as well. And mm. radio programs. He should ideally own just every form of media. He should be across all of those telling people how to vote constantly. Yes. That's, that's good to me. Mm. So it's, it's really, really weird and weirds me out immensely. Um, again, I kind of don't... I don't understand how a major metropolitan newspaper can put this on the cover and also posit themselves as doing news. <laughs> doing journalism. A lot of people already laugh at the idea of the Daily Telegraph doing a news, um, which is fine, but I also don't think that that's how they see themselves. Mm. No, and a lot of people do read these things and think it's like solidly good journalism and that's mm. where they get their news from. Well, that's because there's a um, what takes up 75% of every page is... Daily Telegraph exclusive. <laughs> the Daily Telegraph has learned. Mm. Yeah, all of those. Mm. So it's, it's very weird stuff, right? But we can all agree that the Daily Telegraph is very much at the lowest common denominator of the intellectual media pool. Mm. Definitely. So instead, we're going to dive into the deep, deep intellectual waters of um, Spectator magazine. Oh, no. Edited by spaghetti-haired friend of the show. <laughs> Rowan Dean. <laughs> Spaghetti head bitch. Yep. You ramen, ramen noodle headed <laughs> dingus. Now, I don't know if you made reference, Ben, in a, in a recent episode to a, a piece that Rowan Dean wrote. Oh, yes, about um, how the, the Greenfell Tower oh, right, that was, was, was caused by um, people wanting renewable climate energy mm. and climate, climate change mitigation. Mm. And also the the very very strange piece that he wrote about about Qantas CEO Alan Joyce, overly gay friend of the show, <laughs> overly gay friend of the show Alan Joyce, and also he's kind of linked that into Julia Gillard being the the chairperson of Beyond Blue now. Oh yeah, that one was particularly fucked. I forgot. About it was that. really really weird. Uh, and again, as we've discussed before, it's it's very conservative people trying to do satire. And it kind of doesn't work because they think that the whole joke is like, yeah, just just refer to trans people as dudes, mm. and yeah, the whole thing is just is just to explicitly say what you're pretty sure is going to be most hurtful to people, and then insisting afterwards that it is a joke. Yeah, it's saying like it's just literally describing the social concepts that you have trouble accepting and assuming that everyone else also has trouble accepting it mm. so they'll find it funny and then when they don't it just reads like you being like well they let uh interracial couples marry now mm. Mm. and then waiting for laughter <laughs> yes well you can um you can just insist on being the silent majority that's my favorite part is that even if nobody else seems to be saying stuff as abhorrent as the stuff you're saying you can just say well everybody else wishes they could say it but they're not saying it because mm. they'll be censored so we're going to introduce a new segment today which is the bunto book club mm. <laughs> where we're going to do a bit of reading do a bit of reading from this piece entitled simone by grace collier Feel free to let it sink in that a woman wrote this piece in 2017. 
try try and keep up with it as we go along. It's really fucked. It's really cooked. Yes. Imagine a world like Blade Runner or, um, you know, Total Recall, <laughs> except it's Canberra. Here we go, folks. Simone by Grace Collier. Canberra, 2026. Simone entered the kitchen, hips swaying. House goddess, this was her walking style. David had selected it online. He sat at the bench, sipping dirt-brown breakfast coffee, reflecting on his empty life. Dead parents, no children, and a 52-year-old ex-wife, Elise, who had left him for her pretty female, female, 23-year-old yoga instructor. So, Grace has already hit on several uh, of the favorite jokes of, of the left online. Several things there. My wife left me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My wife left me for her yoga instructor. She's already touching on what's going to become a, a theme here about gender politics. David was left by his wife for a woman. Mm. It's a lesbian mm. twist on an old mm. favorite. Yes. David had suspected the marriage was over two months ago during a rare bout of intercourse. <laughs> As he was nearing orgasm, Elise glanced over to the vintage bedside table and asked him to hurry up, please, as her cup of tea was getting cold. Mm. W- women. Women be tripping. I love bout of intercourse because it, it just sounds like you're describing someone like coming down with something. Like a disease. Yeah, like, oh, he had a, he had a rough bout of intercourse uh, for a number of winters, but eventually came good. I'm picturing it more like a, like a spirited boxing or tennis match. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm. See that. Not long after release went, a momentous occurrence rocked Parliament and tilted the axis of David's world. That day, he came home a changed man. He gulped down two bottles of red wine and purchased a lifelike companion doll on the internet. He called her Simone and programmed her operating mode as house goddess. That is how she came to be in the kitchen that morning. It's good writing. Uh, Good writing here. Fantastic. Simone was the Jane Mansfield model with artificial intelligence. She was very expensive and programmed to love, honor, and obey. Mm. If only you could program a woman. (laughs) <laughs> like a like a robot. If only. If only you could program your wife to to be prohibited from leaving you. Wouldn't that be a beautiful world? Instead, you get sexually humiliated by your lesbian wife because reality is cruel. Getting cucked. <laughs> Getting cucked by the yoga instructor. <laughs> yeah. Instead, we live in this awful, awful world where if a woman is bitterly unhappy in her long marriage to uh, this guy, <laughs> she gets to she gets to leave. What a terrible world we live in. Horrible world. When David selected that option, he vowed to treat her well. He had always been old-fashioned, enhancing his home with period furniture, watching classic movies, and revering traditional relationships. You know what? Mm. I love relationships that are traditional. That's just me. You know, people like to have uh, unconventional relationships. Not a fan. Not a fan. Not me. Oh, I don't me. like it. I, uh, I revere them. I revere traditional relationships. Mm, a nice traditional chaste courtship. Mm. Um, I become violently angry any time that I watch a romantic comedy where two people get together in strange circumstances. <laughs> I, I become wildly enraged. I've seen you watch 500 Days of Summer. You were very unhappy the entire time. <laughs> oh, 50 first dates. I scream at my television the whole time. You liked the first date, but the, the, the other 49, not happy. The first date was, was traditionally structured, and each one after that is quite unusual. So... When Simone arrived, 
<laughs> revering traditional relationships. Jesus Christ. What what an incredibly subtle way to say... I hate fags. Uh, I hate yes. gay people. <laughs> yeah. What a very subtle way to say, please, let's only keep it to men and women. Watching classic movies and revering traditional relationships. You know, just putting on Casablanca and then threatening to kill Poofs online. <laughs> yeah. Very normal stuff. <clears throat> when Simone arrived, David trembled as he opened the box. For the occasion, he dressed in black tie with red pocket kerchief. What a wanker. Because, because he is a freak. <laughs> this dude is making sure to get dressed up nice before he cracks open his real doll. <laughs> he blushed as he dressed her and stammered through the introductory setup. David fell in love within 24 hours. <laughs> but, although, <laughs> but although they shared a bedroom, he couldn't bring himself to touch her perfect, smooth, silicone skin. Oh, he respects women. Hell yeah. yeah. Well, he, I'm, I'm betting he, he wants to be married to his robot first. Now, it's, it's about to really heat up in a moment, mm. folks. As the winter sun streamed into the kitchen, David admired Simone's blue gown and the outrageous curves it accentuated. She was sex on a stick, wrapped in a shimmer of silk and all his. Still, he thought, he could never take her out of the house. If anyone saw them together, surely he would be viewed as a tragic pervert. Sex on a stick. Mm. That is a repulsive expression. <laughs> it's not evocative of sensuality or it's anything even erotic. vaguely erotic. It's uh, oh, just weird. Very serial like killery. Now, now, are you ready? Are you ready for the hint ready. of where of where this dystopian future came in, mm. where things started to go wrong? Then David remembered what his beloved Liberal Party was doing. There, the line had been crossed. Considering that, could anyone judge? Perhaps not. What is happening? Oh, all will be revealed in time. <laughs> well, here's my guess. Traditional relationships stopped being revered. Oh, and everything. Anyone could get married to anyone, so we're in a, we're in a wild west world of filthy perversion where a man can marry a man, so why would anyone even care about you taking your um, six-foot-tall Jane Mansfield rubber sex doll out of the house? Just to clarify, are you saying a Wild West world or a Wild West world? Uh, a Wild West world. Oh, because, I mean, he's got a robot girlfriend. I think a Wild West world would be very appropriate. She would, she would be a cowboy girlfriend. <laughs> well, also, well, that would just be a West world. Oh, it's a regular West world, not a Wild West world. <laughs> A, a Wild West World is like in the original film, when Westworld has gone wrong. So the default Westworld is wild? No, no, the default Westworld is normal. <laughs> Once the robots start freaking out, then it's a Wild Westworld. And in the film Westworld, yes. it is a Wild Westworld. It is. All right. Hey. All right. <laughs> so, considering that the line had been crossed, could anyone judge? Perhaps not. Anyway, companion dolls were taking the world by storm. Cabwalk models were being replaced. No one in the fashion industry wanted people anymore. Robots didn't need to starve themselves. They were made thin and feminist activists couldn't object to their unrealistic body shapes. Okay, let's... Owned. Owned feminists. Owned as hell. This is a two-pronged sentence, that last one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Robots didn't need to starve themselves. So we are acknowledging that to meet the unnatural beauty standards... You have to models. be a robot. You, you basically have to starve yourself, right? Yes. So we know that that's bad. Yes. And then the second half of that sentence, they were made thin and feminist activists couldn't object to their unrealistic body shapes, in scare quotes, mm. is saying that complaining about those standards that make people starve themselves is bad. 
It's the complaining that's the problem. So, yeah, the fashion industry is bad. Unrealistic body shapes are bad. But also, being an activist about those problems is also bad. Now, you're going to find a recurrent theme in this piece. And that is um, leftards and feminazis being owned by some very clever trick of logic. Mm. So, in this case, again, it's the idea that that if thin models, if rake-thin uh, anorexic models who lead to unrealistic beauty standards being perpetuated through media were replaced by robots who appeared exactly the same but were not human anymore, that people wouldn't be able to complain because they aren't humans, as opposed to them being used to just continue exactly the same practice of magazines and publications saying, this is what is accepted as beautiful and the way you should attempt to look. Ah, Rackham. <laughs> mm, so, so, you know, it's incredibly dumb. It's a hugely, hugely facile interpretation of what, what people actually think the problem is and a classic case of treating the symptoms as opposed to, you know, the actual, the actual problem. Well, I mean, I can see it sounds like you're objecting there, but to me, once you address the symptoms of something, the symptoms go away. Well. Problem solved forever. Because the symptoms are gone. I'm no doctor, but I tell people I am. No, I think no, I think if you if you treat the symptoms, I think you'll find it's fine. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> Simone's feet squeaked on the oak floor. David looked at her with a benign smile and then sent a thought message to his online assistant. Whoa! That's how you know we're in the 2026, guys. <laughs> Siri, some slippers for Simone, please. David, Simone <laughs> breathed huskily. Your car is here. She pursed her lips. Please don't do that again. <laughs> oh, I'm going to keep doing it. I hope, I hope there's a sex scene in this. <laughs> oh, I am ready. I'm ready to act this out. I'm ready for a radio play. David stood and adjusted his pale blue tie. Little reference to his Liberal Party blue tie there. Some slippers will arrive by drone later, Simone. Goodbye. He left abruptly, too embarrassed for a kiss. It's <laughs> a beautiful, beautiful visual image. Him just like yes. standing up and going, well, I'm going to leave. <laughs> Diving yes. through a window. Oh no, my, my weird robot that I bought for the express purpose of sex is trying to touch me. I better get out of here. Leaving the front door ajar, he fled down the path. <laughs> Simone replied, have a nice day, dear, to his back before gently closing the door. Gazing in the hall mirror, she smoothed her platinum hair. Then she sat on a nearby chair, poised to spend the entire day waiting, first for slippers, then for David. Like a good wife, am I right, guys? Like a good woman. Oh, wife that you can program not to leave you for your yoga instructor. Won't talk back. Won't talk back. Will not talk at all if you are not in the house. My ideal wife stares at the wall completely still like a serial killer for nine <laughs> hours a day. Perfect woman, am I right? Mm. Now, oh, we've got a cracking paragraph here. <laughs> the car door opened and David clambered in because apparently he's a clumsy liberal dickhead. <laughs> the driver said a quick hello and drove on. David stared, taken aback. He was being driven by a human. What was going on? Now, can I just stop you there for a second? Yeah. Now, to me, I find this paragraph very alarming. Mm -hmm. Because when I get in a car mm -hmm. and I see a human, normally I <laughs> think that's fine. But what she's describing... Normally I'm comforted. He's getting into a car and then seeing a person and him being taken aback. What, what could that possibly mean? What does it mean? It's so interesting. Years earlier, alcohol taxes have been increased so sharply that many people stopped drinking. Consequently, illegal drug use became widespread. Oof. For about $50, one could buy a drink or enough drugs to get high for months. Oh, hell yeah. 
drugs were unregulated, untaxed, and available. If only there was some way to change that. <laughs> but I guess there isn't. People on budgets made their choices. In many industries, including the taxi sector, only about 5% of applicants passed drug tests. So everyone's just high as fuck all the time. Yep. So $50. $50, bucks, that's good. It's a good deal. Yeah, $50 for one drink, so beer or a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Or you could get high for months. Months. Yeah. Months. Multiple calendar mm. months. So again, fantastic conservative bugbears here that if you increase alcohol taxes, I believe friend of the show Caleb Bond had a very similar take on this recently. <laughs> um, if you increase taxes on alcohol, people will then turn to other vices to get their kicks. And Oh, you're referring to the article he wrote before he was legally allowed to drink. <laughs> See yes, if he's changed uh, his wh- mind. Well, uh, yeah, I liked... Uh, no, what, what Caleb was tweeting about was that um, somebody had been busted and taken to court for supplying alcohol to underage kids, and they'd been given, like, a, a $5,000 fine or a $10,000 fine or something. And he said, Oh, there I say, <laughs> in his weird old man voice, there I say, uh, the maximum penalty for giving drugs to a minor is like $8,000. So therefore, the government would rather kids be doing these drugs than drinking. Ah, great take. Brilliant. Well, personally, my response was, if we're talking about like, you know, 16-year-olds, would I rather 16-year-olds drank a bottle of wild turkey or smoked a joint? Mm. I I absolutely know where my preference (laughs) lies in that case, and it's have a joint. That's... We've pretty clearly identified a huge cultural uh, binge drinking problem. I started country. I started drinking when I was very young, and what what went wrong? Nothing. Mm, mm. My brain is fine. <laughs> it's been no effects to this day. No effects. Uh, yes, there's nothing. There's nothing about uh, starting binge drinking when you're 15 years old that uh, that has any kind of run on effect in your life. Mm. It's fine. David smiled at his driver in the mirror. Siri, email Raj at the office. My driver for the day is human? Question mark. Within two minutes, he had a reply. David, there are three Commonwealth drivers left. All have passed tests. Remember the party meeting today? Who could possibly have enough money to bail us out? Raj. David sank into the leather. He pulled a pair of clip-on earrings from his suit pocket. Cream drop pearls. Wincing, he affixed them. He hated their pinching. He loathed their jiggling when he moved his head. And despite all the diversity training, he still felt like a twat. Now, when I hear that, I assume the rest of the article is going to be very measured and normal. (laughs) Totally. Mm. It's all so normal. Mm. Mm. Incredibly normal interpretations of things like diversity training. The party had issued the earrings when David was assigned the parliamentary female status. He had to wear them for one term. They all did. Well, almost half of them anyway. That way, the Prime Minister could say that 50% of Liberal MPs were female, immediately identifiable by their earrings, which were all identical. This arrangement, referred to as the change, had been agreed to by Cabinet in 2024. The party had been under fire for having only a handful of women parliamentarians. Under pressure to adopt a gender quota, the Prime Minister proposed this idea as an alternative. Many objected, but it was finally embraced as a pragmatic and least worst option. Once members overcame the initial embarrassment, the change was seen as innovative. It produced an instant result, 
and beat the opposition at their own progressive game. No one had to worry about finding and pre-selecting women, because everyone knew that at all times half the party would simply identify that way, whether they were actually female or not. So, few things here. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, the first being that they believe, uh, by their own admission, humiliating themselves is the least worst option as compared to actually just working towards having more female representation in the party. Yes. Um, also that it's worth doing because you get to own labor mm -hmm. by, um, by, by it's, there's a classic conservative term, humiliating yourself, um, in a way in which the, you think is a massive own on the left. <laughs> the amount of sentences from these paragraphs dedicated to talking about how horrific it is for a man to wear earrings, delightful. And also that that's their understanding of like, you know, they, that conservatives just really don't grasp the idea of being trans or being gender fluid or anything. No. They just assume that people, you know, make these wanton people declarations. People are just saying a thing. Yeah, so they're like, huh, well, we'll clearly put them in an unstoppable snooker position if we just <laughs> put on earrings. They won't be like, you don't do, you've never spoken about your gender at any length or anything. Like, they think it's just this shallow thing you can just say it and it's unbeatable. Like, well, Please allow Grace to explain. Naturally, there were a few real women sprinkled in with the assigned ones, but that didn't cause trouble. A few of those had even insisted on swapping genders to identify as men. The party room agreed that was only fair, and in a couple of cases, appropriate, although no one said that out loud. I bet that was about someone who was a real bitch. Like a dude. The reassigned females wore brooches in the shape of a necktie, and everyone seemed satisfied. The change was politically nimble, too, because in their private lives, parliamentarians could revert to their original gender by simply taking off their earrings or brooches. Australians had accepted for years that gender was fluid. It could change many times a day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because mm. that's how that works. I feel like they, she, she's seen the word gender fluid one time mm -hmm. and then built up her own imaginary canon about what this means in her head without maybe Googling it or ever talking to anyone who identified that way. Like the flip of a switch. Yeah, it's it's just a binary thing that randomly changes throughout the day. Mm. Importantly, everyone recognised that a person was always the gender they said they felt they were, regardless of any evidence to the contrary, and nobody could query or contradict that under any circumstances whatsoever. Jesus Christ, this is terrible. Ugh. It's making me want to throw up. It's a truly horrifying look into, like, yeah, like you were saying, Ben, just, just what what a lot of these people seem to understand being transgender as. Mm. Is this comedy? Do, do they think this is, like, funny? Because it's, like, I, ooh, trans... I don't people. think it's meant to be. Oh. I think I think it's meant to be. Like the newspaper cover, I think it's, A, meant to be a, well, if the Liberal Party don't, you know, shut the gates on the on the unwashed hordes <laughs> trying to destroy Western culture and civilization, this mm, is the... Men are all going to get cut. Mm, this yeah. is the freaky-deaky world we're going to be in. Fuck, they really... Yeah, we're going to live in this horrible world where if somebody identifies as a woman, you're expected to just go, okay. all right. Mm, God, that sounds... You're meant to just... Wouldn't that be horrible? Yeah. You're not meant to publicly question somebody about it. After Cabinet agreed to the change, the Prime Minister announced it by a news conference on the television. <laughs> the following day, when taking their seats in Parliament, many coalition MPs smirked and jiggled their earrings while the opposite glowered. 
Years earlier, the Labour Party had embraced a quota and had almost achieved gender balance. They did not enjoy being gazumped by a cynical trick. I hate being gazumped. I hate it when I get gazumped so much. It's one of, one of the worst feelings, being thoroughly gazumped by a cynical trick. However, not one of them could mock or complain either publicly or off the record to the media because this would constitute bullying and harassment. Instead, through gritted teeth, they had praised the brave individuals across the chamber for having the courage to be who they really were inside. You know what the worst retort to the Liberal Party doing that would be? Be saying, cool. Yeah. It's great. It's awesome that 50% of your your party are, like, gender fluid, uh, queer. That's amazing. Well done. Well, it's a great it's a great reflection on like the culture of the Liberal Party as well because yeah when when they say ah well they wouldn't be able to call us out about it because that would be hypocritical um, when they're they're freely acknowledging that it's something that is completely meaningless and is nothing other than a political trick a game designed to just diffuse a situation so that they don't have to actually address it yeah. Right down to describing them as smirking and jiggling their earrings as though to say, fuck you, we got this one over on you and you can't call us out about it. Yeah, they're taking pride in doing something not in good faith. Yeah, the whole the whole point being we don't actually care about this thing or want to do anything about it, but we are obliged to by the public who tell us that we're awful people as we continue to deny people their rights. <laughs> And it's it just gets worse and goes on and on. It's it's terrible stuff. At the time, David didn't smirk. He wasn't triumphant. He felt he'd broken his boundaries and was lost. Something inside him deflated. Yes. <laughs> David's penis tucked inside himself deflated. David's transition was not just sexual. It was also to do with status. One day, he was a respected pillar of the community. The next, a ridiculous figure. Now, that statement right there is, of course, the most wildly um, science fiction part of this entire article, that a member of the Liberal Party would be considered a respected pillar of the community. Respected. <laughs> I, very, I very much love that idea. It's crazy. Uh, look, we're like, we're like halfway through, and it's, oh it just keeps going and going, and I, I do not want to read it all. How does it conclude? What's the uh, moral of the story? <laughs> Here's, here's the moral of the story. Um, sorry, Australia was in financial strife and the Liberal Party was in bad shape too, facing bankruptcy. Years earlier, the policy direction caused supporters and their donor base to abandon them for good. Now the party had debts of over $300 million and they were searching for a new owner to bail them out. Blah, 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 blah. The Prime Minister broke the news. A stupendous offer of $1.2 billion had been accepted. Applause broke out. Then a member inquired, who in the business community has bought us? Who owns the Liberals now? The Prime Minister turned scarlet and glanced nervously around. Their new owner was a conglomerate of interests, and he told the room who they were. Stunned gasps broke out. Weren't they the enemy? No, the Prime Minister said firmly. Since 2012, this group had been their landlord at at Sydney office. A smattering of defeated applause followed. David felt he had fallen through a hole in the floor into another planet. However, for the first time in his life, he felt electrified, energised, alive. On the way home, David rang a colleague he hated. Bellowing, he called the man a fat, useless shit and ran through his other shortcomings before hanging up. Next, he bought two grams of cocaine from his driver and, roaring with laughter, saved the man's number as drug dealer into his public parliamentary online contact book. So, 
pulling uh, pulling up in the drive. Sorry. Of the three drivers in the Commonwealth, three human Who's, drivers who have who passed, passed all the tests. Test. <laughs> the one he has is incidentally also a drug dealer who had two grams of cocaine on him at the time. Um, well, I mean, you, you're probably pretty much giving away cocaine at this point because alcohol is taxed mm. so highly. Yes. Mm. Pulling up in the drive, David left his earrings on and burst through the door. With a jubilant flourish, he pulled out the bag of white powder and waved it at Simone. Darling, he grinned wickedly, I'm having this, then I'm taking you to bed, then out dancing. The party is saved. We are filthy, stinking rich. I am untouchable. We've been bought out by the union movement. What? What a twist! What a twist! Oh. <laughs> oh. This is some Shyamalan shit. I really enjoy the phrasing of uh, that darling, he grinned wickedly. I'm having this. Mm. I'm having this bag of cocaine as a meal. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely how Caleb Bond would announce that he was about to down a bag of cocaine and bang his, his sex robot. <laughs> Mother. Mother. Mother, I'm having this. I don't this. care what you say. <laughs> I'm, I'm partaking in this. I'm having this. <laughs> I'm engaging oh. with this cocaine. <laughs> so. So the hideous future a, that they've imagined is that, I guess the, the big things are drugs, rampant. Uh, Liberal Party has emasculated itself. Mm-hmm. That's fine. That's good. With cleverness. Yep. Yep. Uh, lots of lesbians, people have lesbians uh, AI, real dolls, uh, and the unions now own the government. So, and I guess divor- I guess divorce is legal now. Yep, that's well. horrifying. <laughs> Pretty horrifying. Yes. Horrible. Well, yes. In this strange new world, not only Horrible. can your wife leave you for a male yoga instructor, but she can also leave you for a female yoga instructor. That's a nightmare. <laughs> that's double the threat. What a nightmare. Yes. It's the ultimate cocky. It's incredibly silly stuff. And, and like, as we were saying, just, just the whole facet of it that seems to revolve around, um, ooh, this is, this is the weird future we're going to be in where we have to, like, call somebody what they have politely asked to be called. <laughs> and we're going to have to pretend like we give a shit <laughs> about things that are really important and meaningful to people. Mm, um, same as same as the cover on the Daily Telegraph. Horrible. We're gonna live in this awful world where like corporate taxes have been put up to pay for stuff that we need. <laughs> so there's a clear line oh, no. with the the telly cover where it's this is what happens if uh, liberal infighting keeps happening, right? That's that's their cause and effect. Liberal mm. infighting keeps happening. Labor wins. Blah, blah blah. This is what we get. What? Yes. Well, to to me, there is a clear line in this one, which is this is what happens if gay marriage is legalized. That, that must if, be if, it. If if marriage equality, yeah. If marriage equality, oh, well, there's enough. There's enough. People. You know, breadcrumbs through that article of um, David, unlike most people, revering traditional mm. relationships, um, and then then that little mm. that little point near the start where he says. Um, I was thinking to myself, mm, people think it's really weird if I take my giant silicon animatronic AI real doll out of the house and declare a relationship with it. But then the Liberal <laughs> Party had already allowed marriage equality to come to pass, which means that the entire foundations of Western civilization have already been degraded. That, to me, is the very clear through line of this entire thing, which is la- labor al- Sorry, the Liberal Party allowed that to happen. Because, because they're the only ones who can stop it, I guess. That, that sentence in the uh, talking about the putting on the earrings and the, the brooches, 
with the that weird the party room agreed that that was only fair and in a couple of cases appropriate although no one said that out loud is that a, a, a coded reference to there being queer women in the liberal party and that that being a bad thing is that what they're I guess so. I guess so. I, I would have taken it to be that if oh, there like were um, women in the Liberal Party who had strong, forceful personalities. Oh, male personalities. And yes, yep. yes. Yep. Who had the, the characteristics of a man, yeah. that it is probably more important that they wear a necktie brooch and identify as men anyway, because that's more appropriate. It's interesting that they went to a brooch and not just a, a tie. Mm. Who the fuck wears brooches? Parliamentarians love them. Women, Lucy. Women wear brooches. What the fuck kind of women? Women who date Caleb Bond are bitches. <laughs> Bronwyn, like Bronwyn Bishop You're pretending that that's an actual um, demographic. Women who date Caleb Bond. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Caleb. Can we stop being mean to Caleb? No. Yeah, poor Caleb. We no, can't. He's, he's legal now. He's, legal. he's fully legal. Oh, true. It is legal oh, to bully thank him. God. Okay, so... Look, I think we can all agree that, that that whole line of stuff is extremely weird, very very cooked. Yeah, I, I, I guess it achieves what it sets out to achieve, which is, you know, saying, oh, this is, this is the world that we fear. This is the future that we fear. But so many of the things that they outline, like on the Daily, Daily Telegraph cover, seem to a lot of people like fairly reasonable, equitable things mm. to do. Pretty simple, reasonable thing. I'd love to have a robot wife that I can have sex with. That'd be great. Yeah, it'd be fun. I would love if all men had a robot wife so they didn't talk to me or at me. <laughs> as, as I said, if, if the scenario here is that this guy's wife was absolutely miserable, that she wanted to leave him, and that during, during one of their bouts of intercourse, as Grace so, so erotically put it, <laughs> Um, if during one of their bouts of intercourse, his wife is lying there thinking, God, I wish this was over. Um, and so she gets to leave and live her life the way she wants to. And this guy gets to have a sex robot that he's attracted to so that he doesn't, you know, murder his ex-wife or whatever. Mm. Mm. Then that's fine. I am absolutely fine with that as a future. So we, we were also thinking about uh, some other sort of examples of sort of conservative speculative fiction and we were only kind of coming up with like the Ayn Rand um Atlas Shrugged mm. um Atlas Shrugged to Shrug Harder <laughs> Too Shrugged Too Furious Have you tried watching any of the movies? <laughs> no, well as as I saw somebody pointing out online pretty recently that um you often see this stuff from conservatives about like uh left-wingers because they have this monopoly on the entertainment industry, everybody has to listen to things the way that they think they should be. And whereas the reality is like, no, that's, that's, the, that's the entertainment that is palatable to people. Mm. It's commercially viable. Like if you think that the that like billionaires who own Viacom and stuff like that would not be running highly conservative sitcoms or stand-up specials or whatever if that's what people wanted to see and would pay money for. Mm. Like you, you are a fool. Um, but yeah, so somebody, somebody was like, you know, once, once the right wing gets in control of the entertainment industry, then you'll see what's up. But as people have pointed out, uh, they made an Atlas Shrugged movie. Oh, they made three. And they really they made three because they made the first one, 
and it it was so bad and so poorly received that they had to crowdfund the, the subsequent entries. Did they actually get the third one yeah, made? Yeah, the third one was made. Uh, they were all increasingly worse. Long gaps between them while they begged for money to make Yeah, them. which was the funniest thing because, you know, they were like, well, the free market will decide. And, you know, this is what the free market wants. <laughs> Turns out no one wanted the third one. They really struggled to get the money on that. Yes, the free market decided that uh, those movies suck. There are basically no common actors between the three movies uh, because everyone was just like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> this fucking sucks. The main point being that everyone who appeared in one of those had their careers decimated by it and desperately did not want to return. Oh, yeah. They were just like, oh, wait, these are these are actual garbage. Uh, so, so we would request that if you can think of examples of this beyond... Um, the Ayn Rand fan fiction and movies and that kind of stuff. But we have had trouble thinking of other examples. So please, if you can't think of any, uh, at us, mm. at us about them. Write in and let us know because we're kind of curious, particularly of the Australian persuasion. All right. So get at us if you've got any suggestions. Uh, but for now, we're going to move on to a couple of quick mailbag questions uh, and then we'll get out of here. So mm -hmm. mailbag question number one. From friend of the show and sweet, sweet, beautiful Patreon angel, uh, Chip Malfunction. This is very topical, um, and we'll need an answer from Lucy here. What is your most Australian hangover cure? Please include as much slang as possible for my amusement. I am a patron. Thank you. <laughs> good question. Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Is there any good ones? This is... Uh... It's a bit elaborate and often it, difficult to arrange, but uh, in my opinion, the best hangover cure is ice skating. Hmm. It fucking <laughs> rules. You get a little bit of exercise, you're in a very cold room. Uh, mm -hmm. The the oh, ice yeah. rink at, at Boondle that I go to has a uh, Powerade in the cold drinks fridge. <laughs> so get a, a blue or a purple Powerade, have a bit of a skate around. That is remarkably specific. Oh, yeah, you need oh. a Powerade. It's, oh, it's so good, though. Like, your hangover goes away, like, instantly. It's uh, recommended to everyone. Are you, are, you, are you doing irony? Are you being serious? No, I'm being deadly serious. Why would I make this up as a joke? It's not no. that funny. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Why would anybody do that? I oh, know. I think the best way is to just chuck your guts up for a while and then get back on the piece. Mm, I think, yeah, a very Australian one is to immediately uh, get back on the tins. Get back on it. you got to get on it. Uh, I would say that also my one is quite Australian if you go to Brisbane's other ice rink, which is the Stephen Bradbury Memorial one. Well, he's not dead, yeah. but it's named after him. Uh, he's, not, he's not dead, but he's important <laughs> enough to get yeah. one. So we also have nice patron Tasman asks... Beautiful patron. Asks, what is the worst city in Australia and why is it Sydney? <laughs> well, uh, I, I think I can answer that one. Uh, it is Sydney, and it's because <laughs> it it's Sydney. Sydney. Mm. I can't think of a single good thing about Sydney, to be no, honest. Home of the bin chicken. Mm. Uh, by which you mean James Colley. <laughs> mm. I'm glad we don't have a Sydney co-host. I don't, I don't want anyone from Sydney on this podcast. Yeah, that's the sort of diversity mm. we will never embrace. We will never represent Absolutely the toilet not. city on this podcast. We got far too close by my reckoning with Matt Brady, an hour out of Sydney. Hmm. Mm. And you can already like you can already see what being in that kind of proximity does to a person. Mm, his brainworms, powerful. Just just look at Matt. Just listening to Matt Brady. <laughs> all right, so uh, we can all agree with your premise. It is <laughs> the leading premise of your question. We can. <laughs> That's right. I'll take one final question here. Good friend of the show, Victor Rodriguez. Good buddy. 
You can find him on Twitter at Vic M. Rodriguez. I highly recommend his podcast, Bodega Superstar. Take that in if you get a chance. It is good stuff. And Vic asks, how much money will your country accept for you to sell us Rufus Sewell, Alex Proyas, and Guy Pearce? Uh, will you accept pounds of barbecue? Is Rufus Sewell Australian? He sure is. is he, I thought he was British. You could have Alex Proyas, yeah. though. He made two good movies and then he got fucking brain disease. You can keep him. Yeah, you can, you can take him. Wait a minute. Oh, Rufus Sewell is, in fact, British. Um, so you can absolutely, you can have him right off the bat. Yeah. Bit racist, mate. Bit racist. Oh, are you saying you, that you need more English people in this country? Hmm. <laughs> absolutely not. That's right. Thank you. Um, so, Alex Proyas, absolutely. Um, you can take him and you can have him forever for uh, making it really popular to be goth again for a while there. Oh. I blame him for that. Shout out to friend of the show, uh, 1995 film The Crow. Mm. Oh, brilliant. I have said it before and I will say it again. The Crow is number one all time on my list of films that uh, were were super cool to me as a teen, but on... And super bad now? Yes, on repeat viewing as an adult, uh, make me cringe. Oh, absolutely not. Mm. I, I've come full circle on this. Uh, I did spend mm. a few years ashamed of how much I used to love The Crow. and Back on your bullshit now? I, I'm back on it now. I, uh, <laughs> as is my ridiculous fashion, I bought a copy of it on VHS for 50 cents. And on mm-hmm. the small CRT TV at the foot of my bed, I've watched The Crow falling asleep quite a few times. Oh. It's a, a lovely atmosphere in that film, a quality soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Constant rain. It, well, it can't rain all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, look, he also, made, he also made the underrated Dark City. Which yeah. is a fantastic movie, which is one of, it was one of Roger mm. Ebert's like, favorite movies, which is uh, mm. deserved. I think that movie fucking rules. Well, he's all over the place on his on his lists because he he didn't rate the Usual Suspects. He does rate Dark City. Did not care for Sorority Boys. Idiot! Wow, idiot! So, he also gave the first Transformers yeah. movie like three and a half stars out of four. Hmm. And finally, finally, I will say that um, I'm pretty sure that Australia already has a shared custody arrangement with Guy Pearce. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I think that it is greedy to try and have him all to yourself all the time. Um, I love him deeply. His insanely chiselled face. Mm. His. He's very chiselled. Could could a man possibly have more prominent cheekbones? I wouldn't ask them to. I wouldn't want them to. But it's about as far as I'm willing to push it. Yeah. It's dangerous at that point. Um, but but Vic, if you would like to see some very Australian Guy Pearce business, um, see if the American Netflix has his Jack Irish series. Yeah, which is basically basically just a... It's like a set of uh, noirish detective novels, but it's in Australia, so it has um, Guy Pearce just knocking dudes out at, at the horse racing track. And, that sounds fucking great. Uh, Why have I not heard of a, that? At a game of footy. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I get into it. Um, watched some with my mother, and we both liked it. I watched some with your mother, okay. too. Hey. Hey. <gasps> hey. Whoa. Whoa. All right, there are lines Slow to down. be drawn on this podcast. You can joke about <laughs> IBS and IBS all- medication all you want. Do not watch films <laughs> with Andrew's mum. Well, anyway, you can, you, can, you can have Guy Pearce. We can no. share. No, we're sharing. sharing. We're yeah. sharing. You cannot you have can, him full time. You cannot have full mm. custody of Guy Pearce. That's right. That's um, <laughs> my son. My husband. My boy. <laughs> That's the Bunta legal decree for today is that we will continue shared, our shared custody arrangement. Guy Pierce, do not make us go to international family court. And your crime pass is drugs 
loads of drugs that will last you for oh, months. Yeah, drugs are legal yes, now. $50 for enough drugs to stay high for months. 50 bucks for just a big bag yep. of cocaine. Huge bag. So, bag. yeah. A, groan, a groaning sack of drugs. Uh, are we saying, um, what does the crime pass just for possession or cultivation? Uh, no, you're you're allowed to have the drugs, but you can't do it. Right. You just okay. gotta hold them. You gotta know when to hold them. Yep. When to <laughs> shelve them. <laughs> My goodness, um, we didn't even cover. We we have run long here. Okay, because we do have an important and gross question from Dan oh, about pooping. Dan, okay. bloody no! I have three minutes to answer it. Let's do it. All right, question from friend of the show. Dan Nolan, Not my friend. Uh, just, Dan. just another reason we don't go to Sydney, folks. Dan asks, what's the best place you've ever done a piss or taken a shit? Cheers. Oh. I, I pissed at a place in the Himalayas that's like the second highest motorable road in the world. It's like oh, cool. 17,000 feet up and there was like a cliff where we stopped. And I pissed off that cliff. One of the highest points you can get to in the world. Nice. Yeah. Uh, my penis was freezing. It was very, very cold. Uh, was it was it very small? Uh, the piss? Absolutely. It was a tiny piss. My penis, however, was huge. Uh, no, it, was, it was brutal, but uh, worth it. I also did a second piss at that same location uh, about eight hours later when we had to drive through it to stop there because there's a military like medical station and my friend that I was with uh, had acute altitude sickness, and there was a snowstorm going on, and it was very weird. But yeah, so two two pisses there. Record setting stuff. Mm. Uh, Lucy, trying to think of the weirdest place. A dude asked me to pee on his face one time. Did you? <laughs> I tried to, and I just it was. It's actually really hard to pee when you're Under in that pressure, situation. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure. Mm. Mm. It was nice of you to shout out to friend of the show, that dude who once asked me to pee on his face. Oh, I was face. really hoping for a name. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, good on you for trying. Yeah, I, it's, thank it's... you. I thought, when am I going to get this opportunity again? I've got to just give it a go. Mm. Yeah, got to try and squeeze one out for the boys. Couldn't perform. Suddenly know what it's like to be a dude. I don't... Bit of performance anxiety. Mm. There's like a weird thing where physiologically with, with men... Uh, when things are sexy, our brain shuts mm. off the need for us to piss. Other things. So, like, we physically can't when we're aroused. It doesn't happen with women. It's a thing, apparently. I, th- I think it. I think it does because it's all. It's all. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I just. I don't uh, want to think about that. How do people that are into pissing on people? <laughs> I don't know. They must be not turned on. They must be just super not into it. But then what? The- I think I think you also got to you just drink like two liters of water so you got no an choice. hour beforehand. Yeah. You know? Tweet so at us. Is... Tweet at us if you like to yes. pee on people. Let us know how it goes. We don't care if you like being pissed on. Mm. That's not relevant to our interests. We don't care. We don't judge. Yeah. We don't kink shame on this podcast. No, absolutely not. I'm into much weirder stuff than that. So. <laughs> yeah. So yes, if you uh, if you regularly pee on people, please let us know exactly how it works. Details. What the mechanics are. Mm. Yeah. As usual, we're going to leave it on a classy note, <laughs> just like we always do. We always do. Uh, thank you, guys. And Lucy, please, just lie down in a quiet, dark room. Mm. I'm going to do that. Thank you. Enjoy your massive trunk of IBS medication. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to shelve so many. <laughs> that's uh, probably the worst place to... Uh, that's fine. Don't even, 
Anyway, we can get into that next week. Don't worry. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.